Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. I want to welcome you to Believe Land, and uh, this is a place where anything is possible, and that's what we want your life to be. Just to just want to lay the foundation of this series down every week. This is week three. We have one week left next week. Remember, Jesus had this desperate father come to him, and the father said, if you can, if you can, heal my son, would you? And here's the response of Jesus, Mark 9, 23. He said, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. First part of the verse, Jesus is just saying, hey, I'm God the son, I can do anything. The second half of the verse, he's telling us how we can connect, and we do it by believing. And notice one more time, anything is possible if a person believes. So here's what I want to do in this series, take our believing up to another level in regards to the promises that God has made you in the Bible. And that's what this series is all about. So we thought, why not wrap a series? We, we knew it would go through Father's Day wrap a series in a story, a modern-day story. So we took the stories of the calf, uh, the Cavaliers, and last year before they won, uh, ESPN uh, did, did a documentary. They titled it Believe Land, and those were all clips from Believe Land. And uh, Cleveland hadn't won yet, but they felt that because of LeBron, everybody was expecting us to win. And so they created that. And Guys, last year we took it home. So you're probably wondering, you want to hear some of my comments on the fact we lost in five games. And I told you last week, I want to elaborate on a little. They cheated. So that's, that's how they won. I mean, now if we would have done what they did, it would have been brilliant. But since they did it, it's, it's cheating, okay? So this will help you out if you're not a sports fan or not a basketball fan. Um, they had on their team, the Warriors, four of the top 20 players in the NBA, we had on our team two of the top 20 players in the NBA, and it was a four on two, and that's, that, that's tough. Last year they had three, we had two, so we really did amazing last year. So here's what we'll do this year. It's, it's going to happen. We're going to go find our Kevin Durant, bring him on, and then next year we're, we're going to take him down next year. Plus, the refs cheated. They were making bad calls on Cleveland's way the whole time. So, um, but here's what's amazing. This is what we want to talk about today. Um, if you grew up a sports fan in Cleveland like I have in Northeast Ohio, uh, all of us know what the shot meant. It was Michael Jordan, right? And uh, it, it, we were ahead of them. There was .03 seconds left. So think about how tiny amount of time, .03 seconds. And the ball's thrown to Michael Jordan. He has just .03 seconds to get it out of his hands. And Craig Elo on our team is guarding him. He's doing a spectacular job, but Michael Jordan puts it in. And then we just kept, you know, hearing the shot, and the shot meant shame to us. And then you saw Ernest Biner. He was number 44 at the end of that video. He's the one that fumbled when we, uh, when, when we could have beaten Denver. And it really wasn't his fault. He had a tremendous game. Somebody hit the ball with their helmet, and it came flying out, which it probably would have done in anyone's arms. But we had all these negatives. But last year... There's 53 seconds left. No one had scored in an entire minute. And Kyrie has the ball, and he goes up for a three-pointer, and he shoots it over. It couldn't have been a better person over Steph Curry, right? And he drops that three-pointer. We go ahead, and then LeBron a little later drives. He's fouled. He makes one of the foul shots. That's when he hurt his hand. 
and you saw how we ended up winning that game. Now, when you say the shot, Jordan's shot's been erased in our minds. Now it's Kyrie Irving and the shot that he made. Everybody was cold, no one was scoring, and now there's a new shot. And we're gonna talk about the fact today that God wants to rewrite your stories. God wants to take wherever you're at in life and he wants to bring a turnaround. You take something negative in your life and you may, be, you may be thinking, well, I ended up there because of my mistakes. It doesn't matter. That's why Jesus died. Or maybe life itself knocked you there. It doesn't matter. It can be any area of your life. God wants to turn your life around. He wants to rewrite your story. So this is my big idea. This is what I want you to walk out of this lesson understanding more clearly than ever. And it goes like this. It just simply goes, God wants to rewrite your story. That's what he wants to do. He wants to rewrite your story. And that's exciting to me. And I want you to, first of all, get a grasp of the fact he wants to rewrite your story. So when I was young, the hot toy when I was 10, 1968, was the strange change machine. Some of you guys probably had it. Uh, that's, that's what it looked like. And here's, here's how it went. You had the dome. And that bottom of the dome was a heating element. And then you received these two inch by two inch discs that were a quarter inch thick. And you would drop them into there and then they would come alive and they'd turn into a bird, a dinosaur, an alien, a robot. And, and, and I, I remember Christmas morning, I put one after another in there and I had them all opened up and I'm having a blast. And it was amazing because there were no marks on the plastic or anything, but it would just come alive. And uh, so I was playing, I believe it's the robot, it's a long time ago, and I bent the legs, and I couldn't get them to bend back. And I went to my dad crying, and I said, Dad, I broke it. Can we get more disc? I need more disc, Dad. And my dad just looked at me and said, Did you read the manual, son? And I'm like, I'm 10. I won't read it when I'm 50. I'm a guy. No, I didn't read it. He said, let me, let me show you. Let me show you something. Let me show you something, son. So he takes, he takes my bent robot. He puts it back in, and he heats it up. And then he pulls out this vice. He said, This was in your box. And he puts it in the vise and he cranks it and he turns it back into this two inch, uh, quarter inch thick plastic uh, block. And then he says, watch this, son. He throws it back in there. And that baby blew back up to a perfect robot with the legs straight. And I was preparing this lesson and I got to thinking about that event in my life. And I thought, how many of us have parts of our life that are bent out of shape? And sometimes we think there's no way God can straighten this out. There's no way God can fix it. And God, let me tell you, he can fix it way better than the, the strange change machine. I mean, he can fix our lives and rewrite our stories, and that's what he wants to do. And there's a scripture I want to show you. It's out of the book of Isaiah, and it's an incredible scripture. And here's how it reads. It says in Isaiah 43, 19, See, I will do a new thing. It will ha begin happening now. Will you not know about it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, I say this quite often, it's important. Some of you that are like me, you're thinking everything through, you know, uh, you're detailed people. Second Corinthians 1 and verse 20 says this, every promise in the Bible, if you're a Christian, is yes to you. And then it goes on and says, the amen is spoken by you. Amen means so be it, or I receive that, I believe that. 
And of course, there's a couple of specific promises that aren't for us, you know. But anything general like this, this belongs to every Christian in this room. I want to show you the principle. I want to show you what God wants to do in your life. First of all, God is always wanting to do a new thing in your life. And wherever you're at in life, God wants to turn it around. God wants to change it. He wants to do something new. And I love this, the two pictures. He, he says, I'll make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That's pretty awesome. Now think about the wilderness, and the picture that comes to my mind that helps me understand this, I think of, I think of Rambo, um, I, th I think of Predator 1, think of those really thick jungles like in Rambo 2. You think of those jungles, and you're in the middle of the jungle, and there's brush everywhere, you can hardly make it through, you have your machete out, you're trying to cut a road, trying to get through. Doesn't life seem to swallow us up like that sometimes? Isn't it like we're being consumed and there's no way out? And here's God's promise. I will make a road into your wilderness. God's wanting to rewrite your story. And wherever you're stuck, he wants to bring a road to you. And then sometimes we're in a desert place, man. It's dry. It's parched. It seems like where's God? Uh, we're, we're almost, you know, dying of thirst. And we need some kind of life. And that happens sometimes. And if you've ever been in a hot climate, you know what I'm talking about. Gina and I, after second service last week, we flew to a pastor's conference and it was in uh, Victoria, Texas, which is two hours south of Houston. And that, it was near 100, and the humidity was near 90% humidity. And I just felt like I was walking in hell. And I, I, I told, uh, I was at lunch with a bunch of pastors, and I said, guys, they, some of them live there. I said, this would be my idea of hell. How, how can you live here? Then some of the Ohio guys go, what are you talking about? You like our weather? Yeah, if I'm not going to go swimming, I love our weather. It's awesome if you're not going to go swimming. And, and sometimes, all I can tell you is I was dying down there, just hydrating, hydrating, thirsty as could be. That's, that's the desert. We've all been in some kind of climate like that where we're dying. And sometimes our life is like that, right? I mean, it just seems like I'm so parched. I need some kind of joy. I need some kind of peace. I need some kind of life. I need God to bring me some kind of help. And here's what God says, I'm going to bring a river into your desert. God wants to rewrite your story. And I want you to walk out of here understanding how cool and how good God is, how much he loves you. None of us are perfect. All of us could look at our lives and, and, and say, here's where I blew it. Here's where I blew it. All of us can think we don't deserve something. But let me tell you, that's why Jesus died. And God is the God that wants to rewrite your story. So there's this cool, it's a really cool story in the Bible, and I'd have to say it's one of my favorites, and it's not my favorite because this guy's mom named him after me. That's not why it's my favorite. See, that's a dad joke, right? Um, his name is Joseph. Really, really cool uh, Old Testament guy. When he was a teenager, his brothers abducted him, and they sold him to slave traders. The slave traders took him to Egypt. His brothers had no idea where, where they were going to be taken. They sold him in Egypt, and he was enslaved most of the time in prison for 13 years. And he's just, I, I mean, God's bringing rivers into prison. The Bible says God gave him favor. He ended up running the prison. The warden of the prison said, hey, I, I think you could do a better job than me. And he lets him run the prison. So wherever he was at, God's grace was there. But 13 years as a prisoner, as an enslaved person, and then Pharaoh had a dream. Nobody, none of his wise men could figure it out. 
But somebody said, hey, there's this guy in prison. He, he interprets dreams. So he brings Joseph before him. And I'll just tell you the first part of the dream. Here's the first part of the dream. Pharaoh said, I saw these seven really fat cows, and then they turned into seven skinny, emaciated cows. And he says, what does that mean? And Joseph said, that's simple. He said, Egypt and this whole region, they're going to have seven really prosperous years and blessed years. And he said, then you're going to have seven years of famine and seven years of drought. So he said, if I were you, Pharaoh, here's what I'd do. I'd store as much food as I could during the seven years of plenty. And Pharaoh looked at him and said, I need somebody like you running the country. Do you know that he made him second in command? The guy went from prison to second in command. God wants to rewrite your story. So now the seven good years come, and as the seven good years are coming, he's storing all the food. Then we get into the drought, and his brothers and his dad, his dad has no idea what his brothers did. They told him he was killed by a wild animal. His dad sends the brothers to Egypt to get some food. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize Joseph. He finally reveals himself to them, and they're like scared. They're like, we deserve to be in prison, Joseph. Um, we're sorry for what we did. Uh, you're, you're the second power, most powerful man in Egypt. We realize you should throw us into jail. And here's what Joseph said. It's an amazing statement, guys. He said this in Genesis 50, 20. As far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. For he brought me to this high position I have today so that I could save the lives of many people. That's amazing. Now, I want you to notice something. He doesn't blame God for his problem. He blames God for elevating him, rewriting his story. And he says, you guys tried to harm me. You guys tried to end my life. You guys tried to, to destroy me. He said, but God turned it into good. God is the one that will turn everything and anything into good in our lives. He's on your side. Here's a sister verse, Romans 8, 28. In the New Testament, he says, and we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Those who love him, called according to his purpose, that's a Christian. It's just another way of describing a Christian. If you're a Christian, let me tell you something. Here's what God's doing. He's working everything in your life out for the good. He's not bringing the bad, but whatever's going on in your life, God's going to work behind the scenes. And here's what you and I need to do. We need to figure out, as Jesus said in the opening scripture, we need to figure out how can I receive and pull into my life the good things God's working. Because sometimes God's working and, and we're, we're just repelling what he's doing by what we believe and how we believe wrongly and what we say. And, and God's just saying, man, I want to work everything in your life out for the good. So here's what we want to talk about. God wants to rewrite your story. I came up with three things. Just three things that you and I can do. One, the last one's about volume, and, and you'll really love it when we get to it. But here's, here's the first one. In order for God to rewrite our story, we have to believe God wants to rewrite our story. All things are possible if you can believe. Now think about this. Here's Jesus. Jesus is healing the sick, raising the dead. These are big deals. Cleansing leopards, giving sight to the blind, giving hearing to the deaf. He's doing that all over Israel, but he hadn't been to his hometown yet. And you know how it is. You love your hometown. Even if you move away, you love it. I grew up here, so this is my, my town. I love this place. My brother Tony uh, runs a Bible school and pastors a church in Australia in Brisbane. And let me tell you, he wishes he could be here. He loves this place. He's just on an assignment. He can't be here. He has to be there because that's where God wants him. But you just love where you grow up. And here's Jesus. I get to go to my hometown. I get to bring this and what God's doing. Uh, I get to bring it into my hometown. And he's walking in, and here's what's happening. It's an amazing thing. 
Here's what people are saying. Isn't that Joseph's son, Jesus? Didn't he used to work for his dad? Didn't he used to work for him? And, and then they said, he's just a carpenter. And another guy said, yeah, he builds some mean, some incredible kitchen cabinets. If you need some kitchen cabinets, uh, kitchen cabinets, have Jesus do it. They're bringing him down to just a, a human, a normal person. Other people are saying, isn't his mom Mary? And aren't his brothers the ones we grew up with? Doesn't his brother Bob have a little bit of a drinking problem? He's kind of at the bar all the time. They're saying things like this. They're humanizing him. And listen to what happened. Jesus goes in there. He wants to bring there what he's brought everywhere. And it says in Mark 6, 5, and because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. The cure for unbelief is teaching. That's why we teach on a weekend. That's why I encourage you to read your Bible. That's the cure for any unbelief. But take a look at what verse 5 says. Because of their unbelief, Jesus couldn't. Here's the last thing I want as your pastor. I don't want God to be waiting to get into your life and bring a river, build a road, rewrite your story, and, and we're stopping him. You're stopping him because you're just not believing the promises of God. And some of you are newer. You might say, Pastor, how can I find a promise for what I'm dealing with in the relationship realm or the financial realm or the healing realm or the purpose realm or the addiction realm? How can I find promises? We live in an age where it is so easy. I remember when I started out, we had these big, thick concordances, and you had to go in there and find. Now you can Google anything. If you just put scriptures on uh, freedom from addiction, you'll have tons of references come up. You can find every scripture. Scriptures on financial blessing. You just put it in there, scriptures on healing. They just come up. And, and so we can all find out what God has to say. But then we have to believe it. Here's... The second one, this is really important. We have to follow God's leadings. Here's what I've noticed in my life. Typically when I find a scripture and I'm having a problem in an area and I'm, I pray or I say, God, I'm gonna stand on this. I believe that you're gonna do this. I ask him to do it in my life. A lot of times, not all the times, he'll ask me to take a step. And, and I usually, it take, I don't always catch it. I think, no, no. Do the miracle. And he's like, well, take the step. I have to get you over here before I can do what you're asking me to do. And so for some of you, you pray. Let's say you come out of a terrible relationship. You're hurting, you know, and, and, and you pray and say, God, heal my heart. God might deal with you and ask you to go see a counselor. You need a third party to help speak some things. Or God might deal with you and say, I, I want to free you, but you need to forgive the person that hurts you. He, he, he'll give you some steps. To, sometimes we pray and say, God, I need a better job. God, help my finances. And God's dealing with your heart. And, and you're, you're just not, you're thinking, what's this have to do with it? And he's saying, you need to begin to give to my kingdom or you need to sow an extra seed over here. That's what, that's what God will do. In every area of our life, sometimes he'll ask us to take a step. And this happened in the Bible. It's an amazing story. It has to do with Naaman. Naaman was the head of the Syrian army. Think about that. And he had leprosy. It was just beginning, just a spot on his body. But he knew that it was a sentence to a slow death. Because in Bible days with leprosy, um, they would isolate you. You'd go to a leopard's colony, and it would be a slow death. Body parts would eventually fall off. It was awful, secluded death. And Naaman wanted healed, but there was no healing. But he had two uh, Hebrew servants, and they said, hey, there's this prophet. His name's Elisha. 
And he, he prays for people that are healed all the time. They said, you need to go to Elisha. So he goes to Elisha, and here's what Elisha says. He says, all you need to do is go dip in the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be whole. Now, I've had the pleasure of going to Israel two times, and I saw the Jordan both times, and it's not impressive. It's not an impressive river. And this guy's Syrian, so he loves his country, and, and he doesn't think this is the way it should have been done. L listen to what happened, 2 Kings 5 and 11. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Sometimes we, we pray and we believe a promise, and here's God saying, I just need you to take a step over here. And I can do it. And, and we're, we're thinking, we want you to do it this way, God. We just want snap, crackle, pop, boom, miracle, right? And then listen to verse 12. He goes on and he says, Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in rage. All he had to do is dip in the river seven times. But listen to what happened with his servants. It goes on, it says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? Verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young baby. Sometimes God is telling you take a step and if you do, there's a miracle waiting. There's a cleansing waiting. There's a healing waiting for you. Those are the two things, believe and follow God's leading. But this last one's all about volume. Listen to this. We have to expect God's best. Sometimes we believe what he says, but we're, we, we, we just don't think he wants to or he will do it at the highest level. So true story here. When, when my daughters were in junior high, Michelle was in eighth grade, Deanna was in sixth grade, uh, Jean and I decided to do a new tradition, and she blessed me and allowed me to be the one to do it. We decided to take our children to the mall around their birthday, and, and just I said, I said to my daughter, Michelle, I took her first in May. I said, you can buy any, just buy an outfit. I want, I want to buy your whole outfit. And so I took her first in May, and, and she ended up, I mean, she literally got the, the least expensive things in the store. Uh, she, she just... She brought these things, and I said, honey, this isn't that much. Why don't you get something more? Because, Dad, I don't want you to spend too much money. This is all I need. And so I bought it for her, but I felt like that, that, that wasn't enough. So Deanna's birthday is in October, and Deanna's like her dad. So I, uh, I told her that, and, man, she brought the most expensive things in every area of the store. And I'm just looking at them, and I told her, whatever you want. And, and I spent probably three times more on her than on Michelle. And I went home, I told Gina, this isn't even fair. I feel so bad. I feel like I should write Michelle a check, you know? And uh, so then the next year, Gina said, you just need, you, you, you need to make her buy some things that are a little bit more money. So we're in the store and Michelle's doing the same thing, just the least expensive thing. And I saw this blazer. It was suede, tan. I said, honey, that has your name on it. And she goes, dad, she looks at, she goes, dad, that's way too expensive. I said, you try it, you get your size, you're getting that this year. And she walked away with that, but I had to force her because she didn't want me to spend the, the amount of money that it cost. And it really wasn't that much money, but I think some of us, when it comes to God, most of us are like junior high Michelle. And we need to become like 
junior high Deanna. We need to expect God to do what he said he would do. And, and he wants to do it at the highest level. We need to expect, I always say shoot for the stars and if you hit the moon, that's better than being on the earth, right? We need to expect God to do the best. So there's another story in the Bible. It has to do with this widow woman. Her husband was a prophet uh, under Elisha. She, he was a prophet, he dies unexpectedly. She has two boys, they're in debt, and the debtors were taking her sons and they were gonna put them into servitude. So now she lost her husband, she's gonna lose her two boys. And it was legal to do that back then. And so she went to the prophet and she told him the story. And he asked her, he said, what do you have? She said, all I have in all the world is this little bottle of oil. So here's his instructions. Watch what God did. It's amazing. 2 Kings 4, 3. Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Now, see how I highlighted it? Don't ask for just a few. Don't limit God. Get as many as you can. He goes on and says, then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into the jars as each is filled, put it to one side. Verse five, she left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. This is, this is awesome, it's working. But he replied, there's not a jar left then the oil stopped flowing. Now, you know she believed God would do a miracle because she did gather jars, right? She believed God was gonna do something, but she just thought, I'm just a little old widow. This is enough. This is all I'm gonna expect. And, and here's what I love. When the jars ran out, which represent her expectancy, the oil stopped flowing. And I just want you to believe God for what he's promised at the highest level. I want the oil to keep flowing into your life, but it's a matter of what we're expecting. And I love what happened next. Listen how this finishes. 2 Kings 4, 7. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Now, what if she would have gotten 20 more jars, 30 more jars? That oil would have kept pouring. She could have lived at a higher level and I want to encourage you, whatever's going on in your life, God wants to rewrite your story. And I want to encourage you not to limit God. Believe. If he's dealing with you to take some steps, take some steps. Because that's God. He'll deal with your heart to do some things sometimes. And then expect God to do what God can do. He can do miracles. He can do them in great volumes. And let God rewrite your story. So some of you are here right now. Maybe you're young. You're students. Maybe life is frustrating you right now. Maybe you think, I'm never going to be able to get through school or I'm never going to be able to get into the college I want or into the career I want. First thing I need to do is what we talked about last week. You need to change what you're saying and you need to find out what God is saying to you. And you need to begin to expect God to open doors, expect God to give you the ability to do whatever it is you need to do. Whoever you are in this room, you need to begin to expect God to do whatever needs to be done in your life. And I wanna pray. Can we close our eyes, bow our heads? I wanna pray. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room, young, medium, old. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you're the God that rewrites our story. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I realize some of you, while I was reading scripture and teaching, I realized God was stirring your hearts. He was speaking to your hearts and he doesn't speak through these ears, but he speaks through our inner ears. 
And I know God was dealing with some of you to take some steps that he's been dealing with you. It's like you had an aha moment. You said, okay, I can do that, God. With others, he's encouraging you to take your expectancy up. With others, he's encouraging you to believe what he's promised and hook up with him because all things are possible if you can believe. And I just want to give God a moment to minister to and touch hearts and minister life to people. Heads are bad, eyes are closed. Staying at attitude prayer. Uh, there's, there's a couple of you in here with your careers. God's been dealing with you to step out. He's been dealing with you to make a move. And you've been afraid. And I'm just hearing God. He's speaking this to my heart. I want to just release it for whoever it's for. He, he's saying to you, man, if you take that step, you'll see God be God. And you'll see some oil pour like you've never watched oil pour before. And it's just God's waiting for you to take that step that he's dealing with you to take. There's some of you with relationship situations and relationship problems and, 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 and you feel hopeless and, and, and God, God has been dealing with you to take a couple steps and, and, and he just wants you to know when you take those steps, oil's going to flow like you've never seen oil before. God's going to begin to do some incredible things, but you need to take that step. There are a couple of you that have businesses in here, and God's speaking to you about some steps. He's dealing with your heart. You've been hesitant, and, and I just, I just want to, I feel God saying this to you. Take the steps and watch God be God. God's going to be God in your life. And there are some of you in here, you walked in here so hopeless, and you feel like you're in a jungle and in a desert at the same time, and nothing can break loose, and God's saying to you, I'm the God who breaks it loose. Believe me for a road. Believe me for a river. Expect the oil to flow, and you're going to see changes come even in hopeless situations. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm just sharing what's stirring in my heart, and I believe there's people in here that this applies to. And as heads are bowed, eyes are closed, you realize this message applies to every single one of us, whether I covered you or not and what I exhorted. But as we just wait before the Lord for another minute, if you're here today and you're not sure of your forever, your eternity, I was 19 when I gave my heart to Jesus. and It was an amazing time in my life. Everything turned around. Everything changed. My father was in his 40s. It doesn't matter when, but there's always a day when our eyes are open and we say, Jesus, I realize you're the Savior. I make a decision to receive you today. Jesus said, whoever calls on his name, he'll save us. He said, you can't work your way to heaven. He says, but if you believe, I'll save you. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Joe, I can't remember a day when I made it real and personal with Jesus, but I'm ready today. Would you pray with me right now? Everyone else in the room, can you help me out? Help them out? Just say this after me. Say, Lord God. I realize I need a Savior, and this day I make a decision to give my heart to Jesus. Jesus, I believe you're the Savior, and I accept you as my personal Savior this day, and make a decision to follow you. Amen. Heads are bowed, eyes closed. You prayed that prayer from your heart, miracles happen. 
All your sins were washed away. That's pretty cool. God gave you the gift of eternal life. That's absolutely awesome. It's amazing what God's done. Heaven's your future destination. You may not have felt any of that, but it happened. You know what else is happening right now? The Bible teaches us that all of heaven is celebrating. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.